Welcome back to episode 5 of the Coffee Trading Academy podcast. Today I'll talk with a special guest from Minnesota, a Brazilian cooperative that trades approximately 2 million bags of coffee per year. Joining us today, Eberson Sestri, Brazilian coffee specialist and head of the Minnesota Trading Desk, based out of Virginia, a city that is localized in the south of Minas Gerais, the heart of the growing areas in Brazil. Eberson brings to the table almost 30 years of experience in coffee. Cooperatives like Miniso are an important bridge between producers and the trade. Eberson is going to provide us with his view on the Brazilian harvest, forecasts and challenges for the market, weather, the local currency, the BRL, and finally, his outlook for coffee prices this year. This interview has been translated from Portuguese, so you will hear our original conversation in the background and I will translate with my voice. Everson, first of all, thank you for accepting being here with me today. I would like to start talking about your background. What drove you to commodities from your very beginning up to nowadays as a head of Minnesota's trading desk? Based on your time in the market, I imagine you probably have seen lots of frost, lots of events that we're used to, to see every year. Muito bom, Igor. Primeiro, eu queria agradecer né, pelo convite. A gente está... Eberson replies, hi Igor, thank you for the invite, I'm glad to be here to have the opportunity to comment on this amazing market that is coffee, we usually say that whoever enters coffee never leaves, my family is originally from Guaxupé, a city nearby uh, that's actually strong in coffee, they have two big cooperatives there, my father is a coffee producer, we used to live on a farm, then we moved to the city. And I started my career back in, when I was in Guaxupé, in another big company. By that time, the operational desk was still uh, being built. So I ended up growing in my career in that company, in the operational desk. And I worked in that company, in that department for about 25 years, trading pricing coffee, both futures and physical. And after that, I went to Virginia in 2018. And since then, I'm working as the head trader at Minnesota for about four years now. In the meantime, I got my degree in administration and my MBA in economics. I've also done some courses, uh, some international courses on derivatives, hedging. And here I am working and doing my best. Bigger than replies. That's great. And I know that you've been in Minnesota for quite a while now. And could you tell us more about uh, your role in Minnesota? I know that you, you have a team. Can you talk about your team? How do you guys organize yourself? And what's Minnesota is all about? We know that this is one of the largest cooperatives of Brazil. Ela é composta por quase 10 mil cooperados hoje. Eberson replies, Minnesota has now 64 years and we currently have about 10,000 producers working with us. Of this 10,000, 6,000 of them are coffee producers. And our main task is to give producer liquidity, to provide them with liquidity. And this is a hard task for them to do by themselves. That's why we say that the cooperative is an extension of the producer because we do what it's very hard to, 
for them to do by themselves. And this is our main task here in the operations desk, which has now four years. So on a daily basis, we are uh, giving prices for physical coffee. We are pricing futures coffee. We're doing hedges using derivatives, which is something that is essential to every exporting business. We operate on the New York exchange, on Sao Paulo exchange. We fix prices in dollar. We are now eight people in our team. Some of us work directly with the producers on their hedging. Some of us work on logistics, making sure the coffee is being shipped out and also domestic market. And uh, some of us do the risk management. So this has been our business, which we are looking now to uh, expand and double our operations by 2030. And by that, I mean doubling our volume. So this has been our job from working along in new areas with domestic producers to clients from all around the world. I could also talk about the financial department, but it's not my area. But they do a very important job on uh, setting up partnership with banks and the institutions that make all this operation possible. Make all this operation possible. Igor says, so you mentioned about doubling your volume by 2013. In this case, you would go from 2 million bags per year up to 4 million bags per year. Na originação, talvez a gente não consiga um salto desse tamanho, né? Person replies. Well, when I'm talking about doubling our volume, I'm actually talking about exports. We now export uh, 500,000 bags per year, and we are looking to increase this number up to 1 million bags per year. Igor replies. And that's a very high number, especially when we consider that many origins, they don't produce 1 million bags let alone export 1 million bags. And the fact that Minasu has this target for the next eight years is huge. And it's also huge that you're already exporting half a million bags per year. And it's also interesting that you're based in the heart of the coffee growing areas. First, we're in Brazil, which from a coffee perspective is the heart of the world. Secondly, you're in the best region of Brazil, one of the best, which is Minas Gerais, the largest uh, Arabica producer, the larger state that produces Arabica. So because of that, I assume that you have access to real-time information, for example, weather. So it's like a platform, replies. Exactly, and it's funny that you mentioned this because if we set up a radius of 10 kilometers from Virginia, we are actually going to, to get about 10 million bags of coffee. So this ends up being very strategic for us. But at the same time, it's not a simple task when you talk about doubling our volumes. Many variables need to match, need to work in perfectly harmony. Warehouses, preparing units, the financial department that needs to sustain this operation. So overall, this is a very challenging goal that we have ahead of us. Igor says, in your view, what does it mean to be a cooperative? Can you talk more about your relation with producers? 
uh, maybe about specialty coffee segment? O nosso, a nossa, nosso objetivo principal é satisfazer a necessidade dos produtores. Seja I na, see the cooperative work as a big complement to the producer's work. Because, for example, you mentioned specialty coffee. Those guys need to export their coffee. Same as the usual producer. That's not specialty. So they need to do their hedging. They need warehouses to, to store their coffee. So that's how I view uh, our job as a cooperative. So that's it. If the producer needs liquidity for their coffee, our operational desk is there to help them out. If they need technical assistance, we have it. If they need warehouses to store their coffee, we have it. So we have it all, all things that they need to be. And for that, we need to keep up with the market. We need to participate in events to know what's going on with the markets, to know what's the best that we can offer to our producer. What I usually say, is that Minnesota is like a big platform. If producer needs a loan, we have it. If producer needs a, a truck to load up their coffee, we have it. If they need an agronomist, we can provide it. If they need a warehouse, we can provide it. If they need liquidity, if they need access to the New York market or or uh, B3 exchange, we have it. Hugo replies. And what challenges do you see ahead of the industry? Essa parte da operação, café como um todo, hoje, well, I think é the coffee industry now is facing the challenge of inflation, global inflation. Tá We're now seeing big inflation rates on many, many countries around the world. To protect themselves, the central banks are now raising their rates. So as the time passes, People are not able to buy the same things anymore with the same amount of money. That includes coffee as well. So what I see today as a challenge for the industry, for roasters, is being able to sell their coffee. And why is that? The world consumes coffee. We know that already. But at this particular moment, we're seeing a bit of a retraction in the demand side. So people tend to consume less. So we now see some interesting members holding back on buying new raw material. We see that they're increasing the plant. They're now using a bit more of Robusta, which is a cheaper coffee. Uh, and in fact, Minnesota doesn't deal Robusta. So from an industry side, this is the big challenge. Can also mention the war in Ukraine, which is ongoing and we don't know when it's going to stop, but we are already seeing the consequences in the market. It moves oil prices and therefore it ends up moving a whole basket of other things, which therefore uh, increases inflation. But in the other hand, we have the farmer, which wants to sell their coffee. And part of this coffee is sold to the industry. Therefore, if the industry holds back, then the farmer is going to feel the consequence because his coffee is going to lose value. I mean, part of this coffee is going to lose value. And again, we go back to the cooperative business, which is being a bridge between producer, the supply side, and the demand side, the industry, the final consumer. Igor says, yes, and you mentioned the demand side of things. And for coffee, which is a non-essential product, we can 
feel a heavier hit from the demand side because we're not talking about an essential product such as oil. So people can skip that cup of coffee uh, from the day or consume less. But at the same time, it's very hard to talk about consumption numbers because it's a very hard metric to, to track. Usually we can imply that from exports, we can imply that from uh, other sources of data. And I, I wanted to ask you about that. Do you have any numbers in mind? Have you run any studies on consumption? Igor, é difícil. É difícil Igor, this is very hard to tell. As you said yourself, it's a very hard number to have. Uh, overall, what I'm talking about is a matter of sentiment. It's our overall perception. We're under a strong perception that the industry is holding back. I'm not sure if this is momentary, but this is what we're seeing right now. Coming up with a forecast might be a task for the Brazilian public institutions. But we know now that currently Brazil's around 22.5 to 23 million bags a year of consumption. So it's a bit increased from past data, but I wouldn't risk talking about percentages of consumption decrease or increase because it's very hard to track. It's very difficult to talk about. So I wouldn't make a forecast talking about percentages, no. And we already have lots of polemics in coffee. Starting out with production, we have a huge range of estimates. We can find 10 million bags between the lower and the upper end of estimates, meaning that we have a full Colombia production inside our range of estimates. But I would say that a reliable number is exports. This is perfectly trackable. We have uh, monthly updates from Secafe. So this is well known. Now, production, consumption, Stocks, this is very hard to track. What is the current Brazilian stock? We don't know. This is another polemic number. Igor says, you mentioned exports and we're getting there in a while. But first I would like to hear your thoughts about current, current weather in Brazil. We had historical rainfall rates between October and February. But before that, we had frost and drought in 21. But currently, we're now seeing uh, more dryness that we would want to in this harvest period. So what do you think of that? What do you think we're going to see moving forward? Is there any risk involved? What's your view on that? Voltando um pouquinho no ano passado, nós tivemos um período muito seco. E ali a lavoura começou a ser prejudicada. Eberson says, Igor, here's the thing. Good rains are well-distributed rains. They need to be well-distributed throughout the year. That's good rain. Going back a little bit last year, we had a very dry period. And then the crop began to be harmed there. Uh, it's from the drought, from the 21 drought. And later from the frost event in July last year. So we had two uh, major situations. So many crops being burned by frost. So you look at the field, the leaf was black, killed, this killed a lot of crops, a lot of plants, etc. And there was an event that was not visible to the naked eye at all. 
which is the impact from cold, from the cold temperatures. So look how funny, the plant was opening the flower, but it was aborting the fruit because of the intense cold. The market went up in that situation and it joined the dollar, the BRL versus the dollar who was also high at the moment, right? And we had prices high in BRL. We're still having them high today. But then in the end of the year, in the end of the 22, 21 and beginning of 22, we had an excess of rain between October and February. In fact, averages, on average, it rained like hell. It rained a lot. And uh, so looking at this moment today, the lack of water does not harm the crop today because uh, the plants are supported from the good rainfalls that, that we just had. But if this situation extends for, let's say, 30 days without rain, then it can start to compromise the 23 crop. So at this moment, the market is paying more attention to cold fronts. We had several uh, lectures about it and I follow work with the Commercial Association of Santos. And there is a meteorologist there who makes a monthly update of the forecast. And it's very interesting to see the predictions because they're pointing towards the same direction, which is two cold snaps moving forward. First one in the next days in June and another one in July, which is uh, already the winter season in Brazil. So that's what the market is looking for right now. So if we pass through these days, these coming months without uh, any major impacts, let's say if don't have a frost, then the, the potential for the 23 crop remains. Then we wait for the rains in October. Now, if there's a frost in July or maybe in June, regardless of the intensity, the market will look at a 23 crop with a lower production potential. And that will leave the market as it is, right? An incredible sensitivity because it is difficult to see oscillations of a thousand points, a thousand up, a thousand down, a thousand up, a thousand down, and we have been seeing this with great frequency. So much that the volatility of coffee is around 30%, and we have had a period of almost 50% or more. So this weather detail is very important. And the funds that operate the New York Exchange are watching this closely. Many times they have anal analysis systems that are that they know even before us, uh, they know ahead of us, that that are here in the growing areas, what is coming for, let's say, in the next five, six days. So it's a very sensitive business, Igor says. Exactly. Uh, based on what you're saying, it's like we're at an inflection point for the market right now in the coming months with all these weather events, all these uh, frosts, risk coming up so the weight of what's being priced if there's a, a premium that's going to be priced in the market from weather then it's probably going to come uh, from frost risk and not from uh, precipitation risk right yes mas sem chuva aí pode começar a comprometer a safra 23 Eberson says uh -huh. It is, at this moment, yes, and look how com complicated it is, right? 
next week Tuesday to Wednesday there will be the coldest down of this next cold front so we have a model saying that Virginia will be five degrees and that our model saying it will be one degree above zero one degree is enough to do a serious damage to the crop eager answers yeah that damage that is not feasible notice like you said right Everson says yes exactly uh, two days so Tuesday and Wednesday then there's the old other cold front that we are waiting for in the winter but this one it is further away so the chance of dispersing for the worst or for the best oscillation on forecast is huge right now so the market doesn't even look at it much yeah right uh, and I have noticed that market has been ve very volatile especially when news of, fro of frost come along Igor says and we can see in the last frost we had a very big price increase in the market right the one from last year and so moving to other subjects now especially uh, you're from Minnesota, so you have direct contact with the producer. How do you see the impact of fertilizer prices after the war started in Ukraine? Do you think this is a driver that could have a very strong impact next year? Should should we be worried? Or do you think it still has a very limited or very uncertain impact for at this point? Moment. É outra coisa difícil calcular, inclusive faz parte da, das duas Everson answers. It's another difficult thing to calculate. It's even part of the two questions, right, that are left behind. Uh, so in relation to using fertilizers, what did we notice? There was a price spike. It was up there. So prices was up, were up there. Some producers ended up making bargains or purchasing uh, fertilizers at the highest price. But in 20 days, we noticed a drop, I think for several reasons, right? One of them is the demand itself as a function of price. The decrease in uh, usage in relation to price, which was very high, so prices dropped. What we are passing to the producers, the information we're passing to them is the following. If there are four fertilizations throughout the year, we have to fractionate the purchases, okay? Because it's very difficult to say, buy everything at once or don't buy anything at all because we don't know where things are going. This war is an example. Uh, two large countries, suppliers of fertilizers, consumers of coffee, mainly soluble. We don't know where this is going, do we? So it's a difficult business. If you're oriented to buy everything now, let's say, while everything, let's say everything ends and the fertilizer price drops, this is bad. If you buy everything now at a higher price, so it's not a, an interesting business for producers and the other hand not not buying anything is also a big risk because what if the prices go to the moon again where they were so it's not an easy task the impact here we have already noticed is in quantities okay in terms of quantities it depends on the way the producer makes his purchase uh, which he he's starting to fractionate a little more as we have been advised him the producer is somehow capitalized because uh, the coffee is at a good price, right? So he's choosing to buy the fertilizers uh, on the 
all at once instead of, of, of financing. And all at once to say, giving the money all at once. The third question, which is the logistical question. So logistics, logistics also affects everything, right? It affects everything. And we suffered a lot over the last years with the worldwide logistical problem. China, COVID, and a lot of shipments stopped because there was no manpower. So the container would go aboard and then the container would not return. And we suffered a lot of this. Uh, same way for fertilizers. The ships could not reach Brazil for us to distribute the inputs, right? So today I see that the logistics are already untied and it's following along a little better. We're getting, uh, we're getting booking. We're, we're able to get shipments, uh, containers to export more easily. So the inputs are already arriving a little more easily. So the price has also dropped a little. So I believe, and this is more a matter of faith, that this is going to normalize until the end of this year. So I think that until the end of 22, the logistical uh, scenario must be solved. And of course, for this to be true, we, we can't have any other event along the way, Igor says. I would also like to get your view on Breakbook, which was a very good alternative during the pandemic, right? It was left aside for years and years, and lately it was used uh, as an alternative. So do you think some exporters will choose to keep it? What's your view on that? Ela, ela não vai ser mantida de jeito nenhum. É... Eberson answers. Breakbook will not be maintained at all. The financial cycle of all exporters is the ACC. ACC is an advance on an uh, exchange contract. If you don't ship the coffee, the bank won't release your money because the money doesn't come in. Uh, that's why this urgent need for Breakbook was created, which is likely going back 130 years. The container came up to resolve the problem of Breakbook that was the security of the product. But in the absence of containers and the ship itself, it turned to this morality in order to save the financial cycle. Coffee has to go. That's why uh, they use Breakbook. For the customer abroad to make the payment and you're here inside Brazil burn up again because otherwise it's total crash. I don't believe this alternative is here to say. I don't believe that at all. No way, because it's even a little more expensive than and at a greater risk, so there is no reason to. And as the glo glo global logistics scenario is unfolding and improving, returning to what, to, to normal, uh, going back to this alternative, uh, it, it's a step back. So I think this is autom automatically left aside, Igor says. And regarding Brazilian exports, uh, I believe Secafé didn't realize latest numbers yet, but uh, we have been seeing a decrease over the last month, which is natural if we take decisionality in account. How are you seeing exports uh, from Brazil? It's in a it's in a good rhythm in your eyes. How do you do you predict improvement? How do you how do you see this? Mal considerando a proporção da safra, né? Então eu diria que não não está acontecendo nada. So I would say that nothing strange is happening apart from the delay of shipments that we had. But the coffee is already being negotiated, so it's not a big problem. It's just a matter of logis 
logistics to ship the coffee, right? I believe that the second half of this year will be better, higher in terms of volumes in the market. So I think for now, there's nothing to worry about. It's something natural. I understand that 22 crop is smaller. It's a smaller on-cycle crop due to weather in 21. And it's going to be bigger than 21, but it's a much smaller crop than less on-cycle in 2020, right? So it's natural that producers sell less coffee and consequently Brazil ships less coffee to the world. That's why New York reached to 260 and today's at 234. It's because of that, Igor says. Perfect. And do you see now in terms of how, how do you see market trends now, in your opinion? What are the points that if you're going to list them here, what are the main points that we should pay attention to when we're analyzing the market? Which ones would you think are the most important? O mercado é soberano, Igor. Ele é soberano a qualquer cooperativa, ele é soberano a qualquer país. Everson says. The market is sovereign, Igor. It's sovereign to any cooperative, he's sovereign to any country. Right now, who operates the market with great force are the investment funds that today have a look at inflation, have a look at returns versus risk in each country. So they take a look at the scenario today and they think to themselves, do I buy coffee or do I send the dollar to Brazil and buy Ibovespa index, for example? That's a question they ask. Coffee went up what it had to go up already, let's say. So even though fundamentally we see that there is weather risk uh, coming from uh, frost and a cold front, as much as we look at this scenario and it gives us a feeling that Brazil is bullish, we cannot forget that the market is sovereign. So where does it impact? impact it impacts on the differential. Each country has its differential, right? Colombia uh, sells New York plus a premium. The entire Central America sells New York plus a premium. Brazil also sells New York plus a premium for some qualities. And for other qualities, it sells at a small discount compared to the New York exchange. So what fluctuates the most is the differential. It opens, it closes. And when we look at the stock market today, it's because the price of the world comes from the stock market, right? So we have to look at the exchange. Uh, when we look at it and see the, head, the hedge funds long, in 220,000, 23,000 lots, we see that there's room for funds to buy more because they have already reached 80,000 lots. So there's a space for them. The question is, will they want to buy? It may be so if the, there's imminent risk of frost or drought in Brazil, because Brazil is the largest producer. So it might be, but it's an arm wrestling. Ultimately, who decides is the fund? There's this tendency for inflation to continue a little longer. So interest rates are still high, so much that the real went from 570 to 480. And today is 488. So it's sensitive to all interest rate playing around the world. But looking at the coffee itself, today the producer has been looking more at the 23 crop, which has great potential. And if the potential is higher, the cost of production will be lower as a function of productivity for the farmer. Did you understand? And then he has been looking more with more attention to the 23 crop. The whole world is like this so much so at 
that if you look at the spreads on the New York exchange, they are inverted, right? They came out of Contango, uh, that their whole life has always been with a positive charge. And got this into this weird world of backwardation. So it's inverted. And my opinion is, I believe we will have a beautiful flowering in October when this climate market goes off the radar. Then comes the flowering and the rain, and we need both. Because flowering without rains is useless. And a good flower and regular, if we have good flower, flowering and regular rain, then yes, uh, then we are going to go for a super harvest in 23, Igor says. Perfect. And I wanted to get into microeconomics also. You were even talking about the global inflation and the monetary tightening of other central banks. We have elections here in Brazil in October. Historically, it is usually a very volatile period for the real. Uh, we probably have the end of the monetary tightening cycle here. The Brazilian Central Bank, central bank will probably stop raising the Selic soon, sooner than later. Other central banks are raising their interest rates. We have the Fed. We have uh, the European Central Bank signaling the, the start of rises. Uh, so what what's your perspective for the BRL against the dollar? Do you see all of this? How do you see all of this falling back on the BRL? Is there still room for further appreciation or it's inevitable that the real will depreciate from now on? We devaluate from now on, sorry. Igor, eu tenho uma opinião seguinte. É, o Brasil, ele aumentou a Selic Ever numa velocidade says. maior... Igor, I have the following opinion. Brazil increased the Selic rate at a faster rate than the rest of the world. Initially, I believe that what the rest of the world didn't believe, what wasn't believing too much on how strong the inflation they were looking at was. Uh, so they held the rates. At that moment, what happened? We saw the real uh, or the dollar falling from 570 down to 470 and it stopped there. But the day the Fed changed its interest rate just a little, the real went back up to 550. Then the day China cut a little bit of its rates, the real went back to 470, 480. That's the sensitivity. What's the, what's the world's appetite? On top of that, we also have politi politics, uh, the, the October election. So depending on the candidate who advances, who wins, it's a scenario, it's a risk. There's the detail. In my opinion, the real is going to circulate around five, which why it doesn't fall anymore? Because now it's the rest of the world's turn to raise their rates. And when that happens, the investor thinks like this, well... Do I leave my money in Brazil at 14 or do I send it to the United States at 3 or do I send to China, do I send to Japan, to Europe, where do I send my money? So as they move up the rate, I see investors migrating from Brazil to them and then the dollar will appreciate in here, meaning the BRL will devaluate and it can easily go back to 520, 530. I, I believe so. Now, there's another sign of this coin, which I don't believe in, but it does exist. 
who I am in this world, right? Who I am in this big economic world. I am nothing. But there's the other side of the coin. Imagine the following. Brazil, Brazilian inflation continues to rally. Sally goes to 15, 16. I don't know. I'm guessing. Okay. I don't believe about, I don't believe in that, but I'm just guessing. Uh, but I also don't doubt it. The rest of the world holds the tax and Brazil goes to 16% in interest rates. It's over. Dollar is uh, back to 450. And even these big banks, Igor, you can observe. If the dollar drops to 470, their forecast drops too. If the dollar goes back uh, to, a, to a higher rate, their forecast also goes up. And why is that? It's because at the end of the day, they don't know either, right? I also noticed that it goes according to the UN. After the Fed raised the interest rate, there was a sudden change in the estimates. So you can see how sensitive they are. That's it. But that's the importance of hedging at the end of the day. That are things that need to be hedged because we don't know tomorrow. You can wake up uh, with a dollar at five and at the Dow, we have a dollar at six, Igor says. Exactly. And a question that I think it's interesting to ask you uh, is the about your direct contact with producers. You notice, uh, do, do you notice a greater flow when exporting from the side of productions wanting to sell more coffee when the real is devaluating against the dollar? Or we or do we have any other factors that we have take need to take into account when uh, thinking about that? Não, não é bem assim, né? É, to, todos os exportadores, todas as empresas no Brasil trabalham com preços reais. Então, no, it's não é como isso. All exporters, all companies in Brazil work with prices in PRL. So what encourages them? Uh, what encourages the producer, farmer to sell more or less coffee is the price of coffee in BRL for him. So sometimes we see the dollar falling uh, and the stock market rising. So in reais for him, nothing has changed. Although, uh, although the dollar is changing in in BRL terms, nothing is changing for him. Now, when both go up, both uh, New York prices and uh, BRL, there is the moment that encourages him to sell a little more. Did you understand both the stock exchange, the New York, and the dollar versus the BRL? Uh, when the two of them go up, there, there is a high settlement in reais for the producer. And it is the moment that he comes to sell, to offer a little more coffee on the market. And today the producer does it very well. Uh, it's not like this anymore. Ah, when, when the BRL falls, the producer will sell. No, it's not, not necessarily like that. Uh, today the Brazilian producers, uh, they like to look at a chart. They already know in their own way uh, where do they have a support. Uh, the farmer knows where his production cost is at. He knows the risk he has in trading a stock market or making an option. So the producer today is a differentiated producer. It's not the same as 15, 20 years ago. So he has his eye on his profitability. Igor says, 
I also want to talk about the current harvest in Brazil and the progress of sales. How are you seeing this and also what's your general view for this year's harvest? Igor, a colheita 20, a safra 22, ela está 7% colhida. Estou falando de arábica. Everson answers. Igor, uh, by now the 22 crop is 7% harvested. And I'm talking about arábica, okay? Of the 7%, zero is the number that's already deposited in the warehouses. The harvest is just beginning. Uh, and it's a little late, shall we say, two weeks late. So we see a lot of producers who put the machine to harvest and had to stop because of how green the beans were. But the, these first branches that we saw, the quality is great. The grain is very homogeneous because of, it was a single flowering last year and it rained like hell from October to February, right? Which is the period that the grain is growing, filling, etc. We have the filling, okay? It has a break that it's inevitable. We work here with 35 million Arabica for the year, uh, 22 million bags of Conilon. Uh, and uh, the producer is always taking care of the post-harvest, even more because it's a year of a smaller harvest. So he has more space in the yard. So he managed to spread the coffee better. He managed to improve the use of dryers. So that's what we are seeing, but it's still early. We, ha we have a better perception of size, quality, sieve, uh, that's important, uh, by the beginning of August. Then we will have a more uh, broad uh, view. And the market itself, the market itself we know with, uh, if the break is bigger than what we were looking at, Uh, because this is going to reflect in the New York exchange or just in the, in the differentials. So harvesting is one thing. Storing, selling, these are other things. So uh, producer always does this with great care. Igor says. Perfect. And I wanted to go to the most important question here. And maybe much of it you already said uh, it's implicit in your answers in what we talked through this chat, which is your outlook. What's your outlook on the futures market, on spreads? What are your prospects moving forward? Yeah, tá bem, tá bem ligado a tudo que nós já conversamos, né? Assim, o, o físico ele deriva do futuro. Então tudo que a gente comentou. Yeah, and this is well connected to everything we talked about, right? So the physical, it derives from the futures. So everything that we commented on uh, is linked to this question. We take the price of Brazilian coffee, it shares a 99.8 correlation with New York prices, apart from the exchange issue, right? Uh, looking at the future of the stock market today, New York is inverted. I, I hardly speak about B3 because the whole world looks at New York. B3 exchange has open contracts, but coffee's liquidity is in the ICE New York exchange. I think what will determine this, the, this movement is what we will see from now until October. If the spreads are going to invert even more or if the expectation of the 23 crop makes them decrease and return to normal carry, we, uh, which is what I can expect. 
can happen or on the consumption side which i don't really believe but if consumption suddenly collapses so we're going to see uh, all of these things are going to st starting to be priced into the new york exchange igor says and we still have a few more minutes and i would like to ask you an additional question what fig what feedbacks have you seen in relation to what producers have been saying about the recovery of the plants for next year? Uh, I was there in Virginia three weeks ago and I visited several farms and I saw that's nothing homogenous. What I noticed is you have a crop here and many times you have a crop in one side of the road and in the other side of the road you have another crop and they, uh, they are very different in terms of beans and healthy and health uh, because sometimes there was a, a, a better treatment for this cross crops post harvest so what are you seeing for the perspective uh, for the 23 crop recovery e focando na, 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 na sua pergunta que você fez para 23 tem muito potencial de ser uma Yeah, it's an animal that is going to be excellent up until here. If no frost, we have everything for an excellent flowering in October. Uh, raining, and if it, if it rains, then it will be an excellent crop. Have a huge potential ahead, both in quality and volume. Okay, then we will have no problems. Uh, sorry, then we will have other problems which are uh, warehouses availability maybe logistics uh, so if everything goes according to plan then a super crop is a might be ahead of us this is the scenario that is wrong however even though the producer is optimistic for 23 his fear and his memory are in the frost of july last year which is the fear of all of all of us, uh, let's say a meteorologist comes and say there is an end of July uh, frost. So what do you think the producer is going to do? He surely will hold the sales. When we see the weather so irregular over the world, uh, rain in one side, lack of rain and hurricanes in the other, floodings, so can we say that nothing will happen? I don't have the courage to say anything. I claim nothing. But everything is going well. And focus on your question that you asked for 23. Does it have a lot of potential to be excellent? Yes, it does. Igor says. Oh, hey, Eberson. Uh, this is a very good conversation. And it's been very enlightening for, for me and I think for the audience as well. Thank you so much for, for being here with me. Eberson says. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining our Coffee Trading Academy podcast. Check out the website and subscribe to receive our free and premium coffee market reports. That's www.coffeetradingacademy.com. Again, coffeetradingacademy.com. Good luck with your trading, everyone. This is Ryan Delaney, your Coffee Price Stress Ninja here, signing off.